through as victims. Um, we've made, I've made countless excuses. Um, I, this was my uh, third marriage. Uh, I've seen the devastation and the trauma associated with just um, the collateral damage to the kids just by divorce alone, minus the DV component. And if you compound uh, the divorce with DV, uh, I'm dealing with those children um, that Dr. Mason spoke about that have traumas that potentially can create um, another pathway to the correctional system. Mm. I have um, mm. a 13-year-old that I'm having um, just a time with because she has all of that anger just bottled up inside and it manifests itself in some very um, detrimental ways in her life, which will give me a segue into the court debacle. Because as you can imagine, I'm going through custody issues. I went through a nasty divorce. I have seen um, the good, the bad, and the ugly of family court. And uh, I think recently um, there have been, you know, some some public protest and a sign just resonated with me. It said, we have survived our abuse, but can we survive the courts? The trauma alone from the courts is almost enough for people to stay stuck in their situation. When you are fighting with someone who has been um, charged and challenged by the court oath, to protect you from your abuser and they fail to do that, I cannot tell you how disheartening it is to be someone who has had to survive the abuse and go through the courts. Now, Rochelle put it out there that, you know, I have um, sought to be a public servant. I'm very well connected. I, I can go through my Rolodex and, and call on people who are over in Lake Hall that are elected officials. I have people that work with in probation and parole. I have people that I know that are, are police officers. I have people. And for the things to have happened to me inside of this court system, as well connected as I am, it staggers my imagination to think of those who are less resourceful in their journey through the courts. Let's just talk about PFA. This man has been convicted for assaulting me, was on probation from that assault, assaulted our daughter, giving her a concussion, convicted of assaulting her for child abuse. How is it even imaginable that after all of that, I still have no protection from abuse order from family court. Well, I can illuminate that a little bit. We have a complete and total disconnect from the different courts that are charged to handle domestic violence. So although my abuser had to go through a criminal process through superior court, which convicted him, our courts don't have reciprocity. So even though there was a criminal no contact order put in place from his conviction, it was ultimately probation and parole that had to enforce that. 
Well, what happens when probation and parole closes their door for the day? Who's left to enforce that piece of paper? Well, guess what? Ding, 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 ding. I had to find out because it <laughs> happened. That order says that he must stay 100 yards away from me. Well, let me paint a visual for you. A hundred yards from my house is about maybe three or four homes down the street from me. How about he was parked on my street where I could see him and he could see me coming out of my home. I went before the courts and that among a million other GPS points because he has a GPS ankle monitor, which clearly demonstrated a pattern of behavior of hovering at close distance. These folks said that they didn't find that to be alarming or distressing behavior, which <laughs> under the statute was the bare Ooh. minimum that I had to prove. So under a mountain of evidence, from two seasoned probation officers, GPS data points, testimony from people who had seen him in and around the area. I didn't get a PFA because he did not breach the hundred yards. So essentially what these courts are communicating to our abusers is that we must be either hurt or killed before it's something that they would rule in our favor for as victims. Well, guess what? This young lady right here refuses to be quiet, as I'm sure you all can tell. <laughs> so for that reason, we have um, been meeting with legislators, in both the House and the Senate, and we are attempting to get some bills put forward next session that will change that absurd 100 yards. Because if you can see me and I can see you, that means I'm in clear line of sight for a firearm. Yes. So you could take me out at any time. Two, because he has brought forward not one, not two, but three false allegations. How about he went after PFA for me? <laughs> and he figured out if he would say just certain buzzwords, that guess what? They would disarm this very well-armed sister. It took me three months and $11,000 to fight a fight so that I could still remain protected where the law couldn't pick up and do anything. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of work to do legislatively. We have another situation that even within the laws, outside of the laws, we need to be able to hold court judiciary accountable for their bad decisions. Come on. These commissioners that are appointed these judges that uphold them in their mess that keeps us in a state where our lives are jeopardized. 
we need to be able to get those people removed because they potentially, with their ability to wield life-changing, life-threatening decisions, when they have been found to put somebody in harm's way, they need to be removed. All right. And it should it shouldn't come at the tune of $25,000 in the Delaware Supreme Court. So what we are what we are communicating to folks is that justice at a price. Justice should never come or be cost prohibitive. It shouldn't. We should all have equal access to justice. Regardless what our, our zip code is, regardless of what our bank account says, we should have access to justice. And finally, we need to have these perpetrators that come to the court with false allegations prosecuted for perjury. When they sign that affidavit, they say at the bottom with their signature that I attest to the uh, to the, to the my best knowledge that the, the facts contained within are true, and then they hold their hand up again in a court of law and say, "I swear to tell the truth," mm-hmm. or "I affirm to tell the truth," whatever it is. <laughs> and when they are found to be caught in their lies, they need to be prosecuted. These are some very common sense things that need to happen in our Delaware legislature immediately folks it's election season 2024 is coming i i lead the charge and the challenge for you to vet your candidates and if they are not telling you what you need to feel good about them protecting your rights as a survivor don't vote for them danielle let me jump in danielle yes ma'am Uh, Let me jump in. I want to ask you a question that because you're doing such a wonderful job of explaining so much good information to us. Tell us uh, for your support. What are your future plans? How can we support you in helping to get that legislative moving forward? Is there anything that we can do? And please share your information, how we can reach you. Absolutely, absolutely. So I will put my my phone number in the chat. Um, it'll be my, my personal cell phone, so you can either text me or call me. And um, I'm really looking for people um, who are survivors, <clears throat> Rochelle, who are willing to come forward and help us wage war. I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm one voice, mm-hmm. but the multiple stories will be able to garner a more impactful statement the more voices that we have corporately Mm -hmm. to get this done so if you are in a place where perhaps maybe you don't feel comfortable being the face of that movement but Mm -hmm. you don't mind you know pointing out something in a case that could be referenced Mm -hmm. where it's been messed up mishandled you've been held with the you've been on the short end of the stick where you should have had some protections and didn't those are the kinds of things that will help me down this journey mm-hmm. to help dawn down this journey we've been and robert you know we've been going and talking to the legislators and they have been listening and they have said you know um it would be helpful for us to have 
more voices that can chime in with their experiences. We have to get to a place where we are able to overcome our fear. You know, I, I know that not everybody, Rochelle, can step out boldly, but for those of us who can, we have to be the burden bearers for those who cannot. And I'm with you because I'm going to hold your hand, okay? That's right. I'll be the moving target. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I just need I just need a little bit of help. You know, and I know that there are some folks on here now that you may even be, so. you know, you may be even struggling through it right now and you're just kind of gleaning some information. I know I pushed it out on my page and I've been telling people, you know, if you're stuck in your situation, create that exit plan, get the resources, get the help. If you know somebody who's struggling through it, you know, connect them with a resource for some help. Don't let them get caught up in this in this court conundrum and be absent help. You know, I I don't have a lot to give, but I know people who do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe it's just um, a matter of connecting somebody, you know, with uh, Legal Aid Society and seeing if, you know, perhaps they can get some help. Um, th those are things that are meaningful to folks who are struggling through these courts. And you cannot represent yourself in these courts in some of these instances. I have an MBA for Christ's sake, okay? I am articulate, I'm bright, I'm smart, I'm savvy, and I can I can hang with the best of them. But guess what, I don't have JD behind my name. So if you are not able to have a clear understanding of how to represent yourself in these courts, you may be unsuccessful, and I have fallen prey to that. So Danielle. I know that there are people who are struggling. Danielle, I, I am definitely uh, broadcasting this on my Spotify. Uh, I knew you would be a poignant speaker, uh, so now I, I, I'm podcasting you. But I've also got to tell you, folks are asking for you to please say your number out loud. Uh, and and yes. there's someone from Illinois who would like to figure out how to, to implement this type of movement in their particular hometown. So can you can you speak to your information? Absolutely. So I'm going to say it real slow. I'm going to spell my name. I think it's up there. It is. <laughs> but on your Spotify, for those who, who are listening, my name is Danielle. It's spelled D as in David, O, N as in Nancy, Y, A, L E. Now my last name is much easier. Paul H A L L. <laughs> my telephone number is three zero two three nine nine eight eight three eight. Rochelle knows how to get a hold of me. So if you missed it <laughs> or you lose it, reach out to her and she will connect you to me. And for um, those of you who don't know, I'm running for U.S. Congress. So I'm looking to take this message national. So that's right. We have a voice at the national level because as much as it impacts Delaware soil, this is a national problem and it is not being dealt with. And there are too many people across this country that are losing their lives altogether or are severely hurt. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. We love you, Danielle. 
you can all count on what Danielle's just saying, and I'm just going to bounce off of it because I've kept this quiet. In 2025, exactly what she said we need to do, we will, without a doubt, guaranteed, be in Washington, D.C. And that is when we are working for everybody to know. This is very exciting. We are working for um, non-government funded organizations in every single state that will bring out and we will start pushing this and promoting this almost immediately after this one. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. And Danielle, that's what I was waiting for. I was nudging you to come out and say it because I think the world should know it, my dear. And I say bravo. I'll be voting at the at the voting polls for the next yeah. Congress uh, seat. Yes. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I, I need people to understand they got boots on the grounds with this sister and that I am not ashamed or afraid to be a warrior for um, those who have no voice at all. I think that's why we resonate so well as sisters. <laughs> Love you, honey. Thank you so much. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, that was indeed the phenomenal fire of Danielle Hall. Uh, and, and so let's, let's get together and try to support that because she is the firehouse and we want to support her. Um, so if I'm not mistaken now, we would like to bring to the mic, please, uh, is a Miss Elizabeth Blanford. Oh, yes, Miss Elizabeth, you pray for us, dear. Thank you so much. Come on to camera and uh, tell us about your journey. Okay, well, my name is Elizabeth. Um, I am a survivor of a very violent crime, and the crime was committed um, by my ex-boyfriend. Um, and it would happen to me when I was like 18 years old. And for 26 years, I held my story. I worked in the public. I survived in the public, I looked at fine in the public, and I got along in the public, holding my story until uh, finally I, I connected with this program called Face to Face. And that's for a, a program that will assist domestic violence victims that have scars from domestic violence. Mm. I, found, I found them in an article in the Essence magazine and I called them, and they will connect you with counseling, and they also will connect you with plastic surgeons. Oh, my. So what happened is I called that number, and um, they connected me with a plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And um, that plastic surgeon, he could only do but so much, simply because through my journey, from that massive beating that I took, I had gotten spinal meningitis twice, and I survived it. But the last time I had gotten it, the doctor said, you can't have that anymore because if you only usually be paralyzed or you die, mm. and you survived it twice. So they had to do a surgery on, on me um, to look for the leak that was leaking in my head from that injury. And they did all kinds of tests and stuff, and they could not find that leak. So I had to go, and that was like my third surgery, I believe, from that injury. And um, they had to go in and look. And when they did that, 
it took eight and a half hours for them to find that leak. And it was the size of a pinhole. And that was in 1977 when they done that. And thank God I don't have that spinal meningitis anymore. I've never had it anymore. And I thank God for those doctors that done that for me. But uh, my thing was, uh, <clears throat> Amen. It happened when, well, my abuser was my boyfriend at the time, and he used to like cheat and stuff like that. And I went through it. I went with it and stuff like that. And every time I used to catch him with his girlfriend, he would slap me like I had done something wrong. Mm. So I, at that time, I did not know that a slap was domestic violence. Mm. But now when I tell my story, because I'm an advocate now. I've been an advocate for 22 years now. So now when I tell my story, I say, if a man slap you, he can also kill you. So um, when I left him, I had just gotten an apartment and I was only in there for like two weeks or something. And my cousin and her boyfriend was there with me that night. And uh, he came in, I mean, I don't know, I can't remember a lot, but all I do know is I woke up in the hospital a couple weeks later and I was all bandaged up, didn't know what had happened to me. And I was asking for my cousin and my mother was like, she's coming, she's coming. But then sooner or later, the person that I had, I had started another relationship. So he was still there. And he told me, he said, um, after a while, he told me, your cousin is dead. He killed my cousin and her friend and almost killed me. So it was three of us in the apartment. Only one made it out. So uh, mm -hmm. I always say now that if a person slaps you, he can also kill you. And you have to be very, very careful in the moments that you leave a person because when you leave a relationship, that's the most dangerous time. Mm. And I didn't know that when I was 18 years old. I, I I never thought about anyone trying to hurt me or kill me. I had never had fights and I was not uh, violent or anything. So it just shocks me to this day. It still shocks me when I think about it. Like, did that really happen? And why did that happen? But um, that person is still incarcerated. And I had to do parole hearings for him. And I've learned to go to all those parole hearings. Now I do it through video. I go to all of them simply because I do not want him out. He has no reason to be out. And he's not, he has no remorse for what he done. So I definitely would want to see him out. Um, I can say mm. that domestic violence hurts. And through it all, through it all, I went, I went back after that spinal meningitis. I went, everybody used to, some of them used to think that I was crazy because I had head injuries. And one day God spoke to me and said, put a wig on your head because they had shaved all my hair off because of the, the surgeries and go back to school. So I ended up going back to school, which I had just graduated from a secretarial school like a couple months before that happened to me. So I went back to college and, and I took my took the secretarial skills again and 
I said, give me a little bit of shorthand. I got a little funky with it, you know. Got me a little bit of shorthand. And I started doing that like eight words to me. I was like, oh, I know I'm not crazy. Whatever. Hallelujah. But um, my point is that I went back to school, and somehow I took back my life. Uh, and after that, I went to nursing. I, I, I got me a certificate in nursing, um, taking care of home health aides. So I got my a certificate in that, and I went into nursing. I've done that for like 10 years. And then later on in life, I finally got that secretarial job. I had got a secretarial job for the Board of Social Services in, in, in New Jersey, which I was there for 23 years until I retired. So to me, he lost and I won. Mm -hmm. And our son that we had together, thank you, Jesus, he's grown now and he's still alive and he's, and he's working. And I pray to God that when I, I kept waking up, I didn't. I had never seen anyone injured like I was. I had never saw that, and I had told uh, God, I said, "Well, if I keep, if you keep waking me up, Lord, please allow me to see my son get grown, and don't let him be like his father." And God done that for me. My son is grown. He's married. He's never put his hand on a woman, to my knowledge, and he treats women with respect, and he treats me with respect. So I thank God for that. But um. I took back my life from that person and I learned that we have to forgive. Mm. Some people don't like that word, but to, to me, to me, it was my way of moving on because if we don't mm. forgive, that person holds us. Mm, 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 they hold you right there where you're at and you're going to stay there and you're going to wake up angry and you're going to always constantly think about that. I chose to forgive and step over that stuff and live my life. And God has been good to me. I drive. I raised. My, I had another daughter after that. I raised my two children. I have a support group here for bond crimes against women, which is rape and domestic violence and other things, etc. But I do that, and I've been doing that for four and a half years here in Delaware. So um, I can I, share the flyer for you to everybody on here. Yes, and I also started, I first started my first support group in 2005 in my apartment in New Jersey. So I've been speaking out for 22 years now. And it's best to tell, and I encourage people to tell your story. Don't hold your story. I held mine. But don't hold yours. I always tell people don't hold their stories. Domestic violence is a trauma. Domestic violence is wrong. And we need to know one thing. That you had nothing to do with what that person do. Never blame yourself. I don't blame myself at all for what that man done to me. So I, I now I just live my life. And I thank God that I, 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 I made it. And, and I'm able to share my story with others. And... and I've been on television, I've been on the radio, I spoke at so many colleges up in New Jersey, and I have also, I'll have articles about my, after I survived, and, and, and after my journey started, when it started in 2000, the year of 2000. So I have articles after that, that people, when I spoke out, they wanted to interview me, and um, stuff like that, so... You're, if you would like to see Elizabeth's entire story, it is the first story that we have on our survivor story. The um, 
the, the newspaper clippings that were given to me and shared um, have been uploaded. So if you would like to read, and I also have her personal permission to post something she wrote for everybody to read. Um, it, it's a little more than what she's saying, but it's, it's worth taking a look at. Uh, I, I'd just like to inject very briefly, you know, Miss Miss Blanford, your story is just my heart is I, I don't know if I want to jump for joy at the end of the story. You're the you know, you're not a victim. You're not a survivor. You're an overcomer, you know, uh, but the first half of the story is absolutely heart wrenching. So I, I you know, two things I got to say. The first thing I got to say is bravo to you. You're a boss and babe, all right? And I've got a, a dovetail off of uh, Senator Kira Hoffner. Write a book. It's time for you to write your book and get it out there. It's That's what it is. And I love the part how you say you won and he lost because on so many levels, he lost the moment you forgave him. He lost. He was out, out for the count. Hey. God bless you, Miss Blanford. I appreciate you, honey. Thank you. Love to get you on my show. So I will be reaching out to you for that, too, uh, for January of 24. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. Uh, so if I'm not mistaken, at this point, Dawn, I'm coming back to you because I want to talk about raffle tickets again. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do is I would like to keep the raffle within the group of people who still participated. So after this is done, um, you'll get an email from me and you'll be told to pick a number between a certain thing. I'll put your name on it. It goes in a bucket. I'll have somebody else pull it and that person wins whatever that raffle is at that time. All right. Super cool. I appreciate you. Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Did someone want to say something? Was that okay? Uh, well, then that in that case, at this time, we're going to bring to the microphone again, another good brother uh, who we love so much. Brother Jack Kim Muhammad. Peace and grace, brother, from the Hard Talk Radio uh, with Jaquim. Talk to us, baby. Oh, some blessings to everybody. I've got a, uh, a lot to say today, but I'm going to keep it short and keep it brief. I hear the Lord loves the people with short tongues, so I'm going to be <laughs> brief with it, okay? Peace and blessings to everybody. Yes, my name is Jackham Muhammad. I'm from the Hard Talk with Jackham Show. Yes, if you probably seen it on Facebook or, or Patreon or um, even YouTube. Um, I'm a community builder, an entrepreneur, a paradigm builder, shifter. But more importantly, I am a retired law enforcement from New York City, and I live in Delaware. Now, I came into this with domestic violence is that I also used to teach uh, a self-defense course up in New York when I was uh, with New York City uh, Department of Corrections. Now, on Rikers Island and all the places, I also was a, a police officer with the with APD with the corrections. One of the things that I found that was disturbing to me was in the 80s, I actually had a girlfriend that was uh, stalking me. 
So, and it was hard for me to get a order of protection. And anybody knows New York City, the order of protection process in New York City is different than the PFA down here in Delaware. That it took two days for me to get this PF, uh, this order of protection. Not only was it hard for it to get it, I believe the judge was not going to give it to me because I was a male. Because I was a man, and there was a bunch of us that were there, not most of them people that looked for the order of protection were women. But because I was a male, and because I was law enforcement, and because I can carry a gun on my hip, that they didn't think that it was it was rightfully my my right to have an order of protection for somebody who was leaning on my I had a pull up at the time, leaning on my buzzer for almost two days straight. Cops would come out, she would get off the buzzer. Cops come back, she knew the cops was, wasn't there anymore. She would get on the buzzer and she would leave uh, threatening phone messages. So to make a, a long story short, what happened was I had to take off of work to go down there to the courtroom. And at that time, we didn't have the cell phones or smartphones like we had today. But I did have an answer machine, and I made sure that that answer machine had all the nasty messages that she left on there. And if it wasn't for that, right now, if it wasn't for that, I would not have received the order of protection. So I I originally got a 90-day order of protection, and then they they made it a little further out. But my, my message to our sisters, brothers and sisters out there that are going through domestic violence and and I have been a strong advocate and, and let me just say this Vaughn wanted me to say this we'll be in uh, Rodney Square tomorrow I can't be with you today because I'm in uh, New Jersey but uh, I, we will be in Rodney Square in Wilmington tomorrow from um, October 15th uh, at 5pm and we will be marching down to the Newcastle County Courthouse but I will be independent. I got to say to you, one, you tell your story. Make sure you actually have documentation. Now, I did hear Danielle, and Danielle has been my co-host on my show many times, uh, Danielle Hall. Make sure you have documentation. Too many times, too many times, we find this a lot of this foolish energy. And we think that if we just let it go, that that person will jump into a rational frame of mind and rational thought. What happens is if you don't get involved, if you don't be proactive, it gets worse. And yes, here in Delaware, I was the 16th RD Democratic leader here uh, for seven years. And I have advocated for stronger laws here in Delaware. I have, I have ran for office here in Delaware. And the, the, what I find the problem is, is that in Delaware, just like most places, New York, Louisiana, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, where I spoke to spoke last, um, it's the same thing. It's mostly political theater. But we, as domestic violence advocates, have to be stronger than that political theater. We're not here to shake anybody down, uh, and we're not here to make cash, but we are here to make change. 
Anybody here is planning for sainthood. What we want is laws that are put on the book and laws that the court will follow. I'm appalled by what happens in Delaware. I, I am sickened by it. It's nice to have lifeguards, but it's better to learn how to swim. And I want all of our victims here and anybody who's listening nationwide, because we're, we're global. We're not just local, we're global. To understand that you have to be proactive in this in this process. This process is mean, it's despicable when dealing with the victims of domestic violence, but we must be proactive. Uh, peace and blessings to everybody, and I, I love the energy flow here. If anybody have any questions, you can always get in contact with me through uh, Miss Sparkles, my best friend, Lord. You can always get in contact with me there. But I'm going to keep it short and sweet because I'm hearing a lot of great stuff. And let me just leave you with this. It may not be your fault, but it is your reality. So anybody here that's going through this and anybody that you're knowing that's going through this, make sure that they understand this is a reality that you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to be a fighter. Peace. Thank you, Jacquem, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Brother Jacquem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, okay, so Dawn, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to tell us what's next. So, Miss A of Confronting Domestic Violence um, is going to speak on homelessness due to domestic violence. She is also a survivor. So, Miss A, if you don't mind coming on camera. She is also, I would like to share, for 2025, Miss um, Garcia and I have joined forces. She's on the California, we're here on the East Coast, and we are going to partner up so that we can help get this to build. So we welcome any and all of you to seriously be part of it and help us make this happen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for putting this together. You do a bang up job every year that I've known you so far and I appreciate having the honor to um, be welcomed and to speak and to be a part of this. I do want to turn the purple with you for sure. <laughs> so, just a quick glimpse of my story. Um, I am a survivor of a double attempted homicide. And, uh, you know, I was, I am from Chicago, raised, born and raised. So uh, I thought that leaving the urban city was a way to escape and get away from the violence that obviously I thought was normal because that's where I was born and raised. So after deciding to move with my boyfriend at the time um, and also pregnant a thousand miles away from home, which, by the way, at that point in my life, there was no violence in our relationship. Anyways, uh, when I got to our new destination, um, I was eight months pregnant when he physically attacked me, attacked me to the point where I was on the ground with one hand of his wrapped around my throat and the other one was closed fist punching me over and over. Meanwhile, I had a eight-year-old daughter upstairs sleeping at the time and I heard her screaming, mom, mom, are you okay, mom? And at that moment, I felt the supernatural, superhuman, she-hulk-like, God-given adrenaline to get this guy off of me with an eight-month pregnant belly. And it happened so fast that by the time I was able to get him off of me, my daughter was taking her very last step off the last stair. 
I grabbed her little hand and we ran out the door like that, barefoot in pajamas, as is with nothing. Now, I just want to take a pause right there and say that, you know, for 382 years, we've been fighting for rights under domestic violence. Um, 1641 happens to be the very first time that a body of liberties of Massachusetts Bay declared a married woman should be free from bodily correction and stripes by her husband. Okay, 1641, over 382 years we have been fighting. And there are so many things that people have said while uh, we were on here today. And I have a lot that I jotted down that I want to respond to as well. And uh, like Sparkle said, you know, confronting domestic violence is my jam. It stands for a lot of things. <laughs> However, we are a nonprofit. And um, our mission is to provide real-time resources to real-time victims and their children by providing relocation services. Meaning, if they have a safe place to go, but not the means to get there, that's where we come in and we help you relocate to that safe place that you have. Um, as Rochelle Wilson had mentioned, children are impacted in insurmountable ways. Yes, indeed they are. I had an unborn baby in my stomach and an eight-year-old that I needed to figure out what the heck were we gonna do. Okay, and in 45 days, I was going to have my baby. Um, as Dr. Beckford mentioned, the holistic healing is the right approach. Hell to the yeah, because, <laughs> oh my gosh, the other the other options, whether it be your vices, the alcohol, the drugs, the, the fighting, you know, we all know where that lands you. And then obviously you heavily medicated, you know, messing with all of your, you know, natural chemicals that can also lead you to a very dark space, which I have um, experienced all of that. So, you know, um, as Dr. Mason was saying, you know, the mindset of the urban city upbringing, the violence in home, right outside the home, every other corner, game banging here, game banging there, confrontation happening all the time. There was no approach of peace at first. This approach of what's up, let's get down. It's about to go down. Like, that's it. Um, you know, that's every other week or every week or every other day. I mean, when you are raised in that environment, it is normal. There is nothing abnormal about getting slapped or getting tripped or getting punched or getting rammed by a car, having an SOS on you, you know, smash on site. The violence in the schools, having to walk through metal detectors. Yes, I am a part of all that. And again, it's considered natural when it's around you. It takes for you to register this is not right this is not normal this is not what i want to be in for me it took me to be, get pregnant after i had my first child i was like okay this is not it you know and and a majority of that also comes from my childhood you know i was raised with the violence i was raised with the drugs the alcohol the partying the swapping of partners all all of that and i knew that that's not how i wanted to raise mine now <laughs> Talking about the legislative bills, I just want to, like I said, I jotted down some notes and I just want to touch on some things. Yes, California is one of the leading states of uh, legislative bills under domestic violence. And I'm so happy to be partnering up and to be talking about the different legislative bills that are being you know, presented and lobbied for. Because one of the things that I helped push through and one of the things that I really appreciate and would love to see nationally is when a victim goes down to the courthouse to file for anything, no matter what it is, there is a cover sheet that goes on your filing that automatically suppresses your information. So if you're going down for something like, say, with your landlord or some civil small claim, something other than with your direct abuser, they can't find you. If you moved and they have this cover sheet that is available, 
then your your abuser who's trying to track you down will not be able to find you because it automatically seals and suppresses your file. So things like that. Um, if you really look at how many how many uh, legislative bills drafted and submitted versus how many are passed on a state by state level, you will be freaking flabbergasted. How many of us? How much effort is being put towards changing? changing the rights, changing the bills, providing protection for victims of domestic violence. <sighs> okay, I don't want to get down the rabbit hole. So I will focus also on um, work. So many of us, so many of us go to work to get away. So many of us go to work thinking that work is the actual resource, that that is, that is some sort of protection, that is something that's um, valuable. However, when I'm doing my research, I see that over 50% of workplace violence is domestic violence spillover. Over 70% of homicides that happen at work are domestic violence spillover. And most corporations have EAP programs, um, employee assistance programs, but that's more so for gamblers, alcoholics, porn addicts, you know, nothing there for real-time victims, not much anyways. So, you know, OSHA, OSHA talks about mandating or having a workplace violence policy in place. The policy may be in place, it may be two, three, four, five, ten years old, yet there's no program in place to actually help mitigate. So there's so much that I can go down that rabbit hole as well. But, you know, when you run from violence and you still manage to find it somewhere it's because so many things fall under domestic violence and to be honest the trauma that i've endured throughout majority of my life was nothing compared to when i experienced the the abuse from a narcissist because it's silent it's silent it's mental it's it's emotional it's it can be spiritual financial it can it's almost everything and so it took me to be in ICU, um, fighting for my life, not because of DV, DV, but because of a car accident. I only had a 1% chance of surviving. And I realized I had lived under a rock all my life to protect and provide for my children. And oh my gosh, this car accident could have taken me out. So why am I hiding underneath this rock in fear of this man finding me and coming at me? You know, I need to be safe and vulnerable at the same time so I can lead by example, so I can share my boots on the ground, experience, wisdom, so I can so I can establish this nonprofit here and get people to their safe place to help prevent the cycle and break and break the, the chain of domestic violence for their children. So, you know, my personal roots from my childhood since I was pushed out of the room womb, trauma was my parents. And like I said, you know, there's so many different types of D V that falls under DV, the mental health, the triggers, the red flags, being able to decipher are the triggers and red flags theirs, mine, like you don't know. <laughs> it's the coping skills, the discipline that's required in order to intercept the negative inner critic that lives within. You know, I have a, a phrase I say, you can live a million times, but you live in, but you live in your head. So if you don't have your mental house in order, where are you really going? Because your actions follow suit with your beliefs. And, you know, every, every woman that I heard and man that I heard speaking today has a story and an experience that is really called post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic growth, PTG is a real thing, yet they don't talk about it. They don't teach us that. It is a natural, holistic way. It's having the resilience, having the strength and the wisdom to do better, be better, have the strength to teach and show it's what you do with that, you know? So, you know, some of the statistics, you know, over 12 million women and men per year in the United States fall prey to intimate partner 
violence, 20 of them uh, every single minute become victims of these acts. So if, look around, there's so many people out there. And now that you've heard my story, you now you know how near and dear this nonprofit is to my heart. And I am 100% on board with turning this world purple and helping people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mitigate the cycle of DV, and I will be a voice for Danielle. I will be a voice as as a victim, as a person that was victimized to the person that is now the survivor. I can talk about how many freaking lines I stood in, how many 1-800 numbers I called. It was not until I found somebody through somebody through somebody that remembered who I was and an advocate came in and she helped me navigate that courthouse because the self-help center and those people are not versed in what programs, laws and protections that we have. And yes, why aren't we a protected class under party 11 under civil rights? Why, 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 why? So, so I just want to say that, you know, with all this being said, I'm doing what I'm doing because in the blink of an eye, your world can turn upside down. Imagine a world where laughter is replaced with silence and playtime with fear for the children. A loving home that becomes a battlefield. It's a wound no child should ever know, yet it's a reality for far too many. In the shadows of homes behind closed doors, innocent eyes bear witness of a storm. A storm that robs them of their childhood, their innocence, their peace. At school, instead of learning, they're hiding their pain and their tears. Yet even in the darkest of hours, they seek comfort in the smallest of things, toys, security blankets, TV. If you have animals, a purr of a cat, a wag of a tail, a beloved pet, they become the sanctuary, a beacon of hope in a world filled with turmoil. In the midst of the chaos, they become the heroes they should not have to be. So they often step up to shield and protect and will become a fortress around their mother with a desire to shield her from the storm that rages within their homes. But imagine a day when the storm finally subsides. Picture a day when a beacon of hope pulls up right to the doorstep, a moving truck, not just a vehicle, but a vessel of change, yeah. a symbol of a new beginning. As, re as remnants of their past life are packed in boxes ready to be moved, each item carrying a memory, some bitter, some sweet, and yet as each box is loaded onto the truck, there is a sense of relief, a feeling that perhaps the worst is over. And as the truck pulls away carrying their belongings, there's a glimmer of hope, a hope for a future free from fear, from pain, from the storm that once raged within the home. In the end, it's a picture of love that remains. A mother with her arms wrapped tightly around her children, her eyes filled with relief and hope of a healthier future. And the children, their faces no longer marked with fear, but painted with the promise of a brighter tomorrow. It's a reminder that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, a reminder that change is possible, that a better future awaits. Remember, every ending starts a new beginning. It is never too late to turn the page and start a new chapter because in the end, being safe at home is the happier ever after. No family should have to leave all their belongings behind when moving for safety. Every child deserves a second chance at having a healthy future, which is why it's our mission here at Confronting Domestic Violence to help relocate those families when they have that safe place to go and not the means to get there. Let's turn this world purple, baby, and mitigate the violence.
Yeah. All right. There you go. (laughs) Miss Garcia, Miss Garcia, you are phenomenal, my dear. I can't wait to see you and Danielle get together. It's going to be a storm. (laughs) You talk about a storm. Wait until you and Danielle get together. I wish I had someone like you on my team. You are absolutely amazing. We appreciate your story, your poetry. Uh, and your story. Thank you so, so very, very much. Uh, Miss A. Garcia. We love you, honey. I do. <laughs> love you back. Love you back. <laughs> Put your link in, Miss um, Garcia, for be your incredible self. Yes. Could you please oh. say your phone number or email out loud as well? Yes. I am. I am okay. recording. So my email is confronting.dv at gmail.com and the website is confrontingdv.org and I'm your your incredible be your incredible self they can get through the website yes be your incredible self is moving on because moving out is the physical part of it moving on is the lifelong journey and that's where post-traumatic growth comes into play awesome Do do you see her logo I've not been able to stop staring at it. Yes, I actually, I do see it. I noticed it immediately, Danielle. <laughs> that thing says a lot. Yes. I, I can't wait to see the two of you together. I'm so excited. We're going to do big things, girl. Yes. Powerful. Thank you. Powerful, powerful women. Can't wait to see them together. Uh, so now, Sparkles, my dear Dawn, uh, I've got to switch my device. Unfortunately, I've got to switch over to this device. And this is a perfect time because this is your opportunity uh, to tell us a little bit more about um, drug coercion as a survivor and to tell us a little bit about your story. So I'm going to jump off here and jump on the other device while you tell your story. Okay, Dawn, make sure you bring me back, baby. Sounds good. No worries. So I'm here to discuss uh, a lot of people don't understand what substance use coercion is when it comes to to domestic violence. Um, 